Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the AEW Rampage Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the deadly boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of Rampage. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Rampage, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, pay-per-views, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete. With a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review AEW Rampage, potentially the last ever one-hour Rampage. <laughs> what did you think, Sidge? I can't make my mind up on this show. My prevailing thought was, this does not feel like the third hour of TV. This doesn't feel like a dynamite-caliber hour of TV that mercifully hasn't been welded onto dynamite as a three-hour experience. Mm, yeah. We have fallen below the initial promise of the debut episode. Next week's, I expect, will be an aberration because it's a two-hour special, as you've just alluded to. And yet... One-off two-hour special. We'll still yeah, repeat uh, repeating this. <laughs> so let's will that one into existence. And yet, despite the fact that it wasn't really TV quality of unmissable epicenter of conversation everyone's talking about all this buzz quality and despite the inordinate almost cruel amount of Je- uh, Matt Hardy <laughs> there's still lots to like I said this to you earlier um, after the opening match which obviously featured Butcher and the Blade from HFO you then got the end you have a little uh, slug on your hood hey Hey, what's this uh, schmuck doing here? Hey, get out of here. <laughs> He's killed it. <laughs> He's going to like let it. Get out of here, schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little bug on my uh, my hoodie because I was walking through the uh, trees earlier. And now uh, that schmuck's coming. I expected to kill it. Hey, sorry. He's over here. He yeah, he's, he's fine. He's he's just, I was going to grab him. Look, there he is. Look, he's moving. He's all good. Hey! Hey, I'm walking here. Oh, oh, right, what are we talking about? Oh, yeah. So, after the first match... (laughs) You can't do a mafia mafia voice. I'm like, I'm just... I was just walking through the trees earlier. You can't look And uh, the uh, HFO theme hits, and I was like, oh, cool, it's my hardest promo that I'd heard about. And then it was the bunny game, and I was like, oh, for Christ's sake, there's so much HFO on this show. What did you think, Hamlet? Um, I thought the show was rubbish, and really it was too rubbish. Um, it went quickly because it's an hour, and long may it stay that way. Yes, let's say that. I got a bet 
I'm so cynical towards these things because WWE has broken my brain. I've got a bet that will be redeemed at the What Culture Christmas Party with Andy Murray that Rampage will either be or will be announced as becoming a two-hour show based on the fact that they're only doing it once because history has shown us that if networks want to try it, it means they love it and they want more of it. And we know now about TV rights and that. I hope it stays an hour because that was kind of what this show had going for it. Um, the fact that it was only an hour meant that not a lot's got time to drag, which is which is great because I think most things would have if they had more time to play with on the show. I thought this was a bad show, a poor use of an hour, save for one awesome, awesome segment. And that's ultimately what AEW, because the product is hot and good, can offer you even on a bad rampage. I like this was like this was too rubbish, too rubbish for its own good. They can't allow this to feel as inessential as this episode did. Otherwise, Rampage will quickly fall into that Sunday Night Heat velocity hole and it would be so wasteful for you to let that mm. happen. Yeah, I did like the addition of Ricky Stark's on commentary this week. I did enjoy that. Uh, but let's start at the beginning of the show. It's the tag team titles on the line. Uh, Lucha Bros defending against the Butcher and the Blade. Very early on, all four guys get involved. Uh, Lucha Bros hit uh, double kicks on both of them. You get a near fall on uh, Butcher after a double team splash. Phoenix charges on Butcher, but he catches him in a fireman carry, drops him right onto Blade's knee. Uh, Butcher and Blade get out to the floor, and Penta and Phoenix hit him with dives simultaneously. Then Penta catches Butcher with an enziguri. Uh, Monkey flips Blade right into Butcher. Looked rough, that did. Uh, Penta and Phoenix hit that double stomp. Uh, package pile driver on the blade, but the butcher dives in to make a save. Uh, blade eventually comes back, spinning power slam for a two count, and then Blade ties Penta's mask to the middle rope, so he's stuck in the corner. They can isolate Ray Phoenix. They double team him. They beat him up. They eventually hit that neck breaker power bomb finisher, but Penta dives in. His mask stays tied to the middle rope. Uh, dives in to make the save. Covers up his face, and that allows. Phoenix to roll up Blade uh, with Arana for the victory. Post-match, the HFO pile in, uh, the rest of them, I should say, to beat up the Lucha Bros. But out comes Santana and Ortiz to make the save, Michael Hamlet. Yeah, i, I got to say, I was terribly disappointed by this. Um, I got quite a bit out of the Butcher and the Blade. I'll say that for them. I re really enjoyed watching the Blade in this one. Um, I have to give a bit of credit to Chris Jericho, loath as I am a lot of the time. Um, he seemed really keen to get the blade over on commentary. And sometimes his like overbearing nature drills the message into your head. And I was led to believe after this that the blade is actually a real nasty piece of work, a real horrible thug. And I got that out of his work and I didn't get much else off anybody else. It wasn't this thrilling night for Ray Phoenix, which is unusual and not something that I would typically expect ever from him. Um, Penta what just didn't feature in that way that you expect from him until an awesome finish finish was fantastic of course it was mm. you know like the finish has already got flowers and we'll get plenty more i believe it was done in pwg but i can't even speak to that actually happening let alone if it even did or like a version of this uh if i haven't seen it it's new to me and this was brand spanking new to me super dramatic um got over like the bond that exists between the lucha brothers uh penters constant learning of what happens when heels interfere with his mask because like they've tried to play these tricks before and they haven't worked out and i have to say and I, like obviously all of this is subjective on my own takes but i feel the objective measure was in the crowd who also didn't seem to be buying much of what these four were selling there wasn't a lot of heat to this 
And AEW's product at large has had so much of it in almost every match. And I mentioned this about FTR last week, that when there's not heat for the main body of a match, I think it really, really affects it. I think it's like almost everybody on these broadcasts feels like massive stars or bigger than they actually are. And it's only when the crowd goes quiet do you actually stop to have time and reflect upon that. And I think that was the case of it here. Yeah, I got that with a few times throughout this this show. The, the reactions not matching my anticipated reactions of this. What did you think of it, Sid? And does that worry you, for example, for this week with the fact that we're presumably going to get what like a dark elevation taping, then dynamite? Obviously, obviously it's Arthur Ashe, it's going to be incredible. But even so, by the end of the second hour of Rampage inside Arthur Ashe, are you worried that we're going to get something similar there? No, I think this week's will be an aberration in terms of crowd response. I hope it's an aberration in terms of how long the show gets. I'm going to go ahead and call the Rampage Grand Slam will not be affected by any of the creeping problems that are affecting Rampage right now in that they are marathon tapings, as you said, with Dark Elevation, then Dynamite, then they more often than not tape Rampage, you know, some of them are live. And by the end of the show, at the end of the tapings, rather, people are getting a bit tired. I honestly think New York this week, the, the cards are simply too stacked. Yeah. I think we'll get like a Chicago all-out like reaction where they are up for absolutely everything all night long. That was an all-out measure of how hot the company was, how awesome the card was, top to bottom. This is the first time in the New York market. The Rampage matches look incredible. There's one match that'll probably get dipped and it'll be the women because they don't get presented seriously enough. But I don't think it will happen uh, this week, but it is a concern Mm -hmm. um, in the future, particularly if they're going to deliver a card as middling as this. I mean, Lucha Brothers' first tag team title defence is just about an attraction worthy of TV. But beyond that... I didn't buy on any near fall for Butcher and Blake. I didn't buy on any of the near falls, but it's a testament to that incredible creative finish. That was that was the one moment in the match where I thought, oh, Christ, I'm into this. Yeah. Because, like, you know, you're not meant to take the mask off. They are duty-bound to protect their identity at all costs. They are the, the superheroes. I get it. And it was really dramatic. But until then, it just felt like the first offence is always a formality. But you took that away on an otherwise white-hot TV show. You don't sell it, like, as a feature. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's just a tired crowd. I would describe this match, my prevailing take was uneven because there are certain points where I'm thinking, well, that spot was awesome because the butcher take the German suplex. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to not pop at that. Phoenix dusted off his uh, moonsault into a German variation. That was awesome. But I didn't get much peril on the part of the Lucha Bros because mm. I think the structure of the match was odd. At certain points, you got the idea that the other team were far more powerful than they were. And yet at various points, it did descend into the usual Lucha Brothers tornado, but without the usual adrenaline and exhilaration. Some of it was sloppy. There was a few tandem moves from the Butcher and the Blade that I just thought fell apart completely. I thought... I don't know what you're doing there. And it looks like it hurts in the wrong kind of way. <laughs> yeah. You don't get that clean snap of a nicely executed power move, but like they're kind of falling over as they delivered it. He took what looked like Phoenix, took what looked to be an awkward bump. So I didn't get that. Oh, that looked like it really hurt. Awesome. I got the, ah, I don't know what the hell that was, but it probably didn't look that nice to take. Mm-hmm. And that's not like, I need the visual. Mm. I don't need that oh, wincing feeling. So I couldn't tell what match they wanted to have. I don't think the match that they had 
It was basically, it wasn't a Lucha Bros versus Butcher and the Blade match. It was a match with the Lucha Bros and the Butcher and the Blade in it, if that makes any sense yeah. whatsoever. They tried to spotlight their respective strengths. Nothing converged to create this like building, 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 like graduating drama. Just a bit messy, a bit uneven. Given the level of talent involved, it couldn't be bad, but wasn't properly good AEW TV level fair. That's fair. Yeah, uh, we got a video package after that. Brian Danielson, Kenny Omega, Omega saying Danielson's the underdog. Uh, he's unranked and uh, he doesn't think Brian's underdog story this time will have a happy ending. Um, Brian Danielson says he's ready to show everyone the real Brian Danielson. It's going to be fun for fans and scary as hell for the wrestlers. So is it sort of sinking in that this is happening this week on your bloody birthday? Well, I have to cross my fingers because of the world we live in these days. Mm. So that kind of sucks. Anxiety just sucks in general. And, yeah, <laughs> yes. The rule that compounds everything. Can I just say... For what, 30 second presentation? This is magnificent. Scary as hell was a great line com- combined with that running knee of his. Yeah, that was a great line in itself. This is the sort of thing where they go, advertise for tonight's show, can you make it on Brian Danielson? And it is just a pre tape. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> advertise that because there are certain people who won't be happy with a pre tape in lieu of a live angle or an angle of any description. This, however, was so great that I don't care that we were promised. Like they do this a lot and it's weird. They tell you literally everything that's going to happen on the show and they make it sound like it's bigger than it is. Like we hear from Miro and it's like, it's a great 20-second promo, but <laughs> maybe just keep something in the chamber. I don't know, that's a broader point. What I loved about this, so economical, so simple, executed so well, the story of this entire feud as it's played out so far, where Kenny Omega was given it like the whole, yeah, you know, lovely story. Like this disingenuous prick. <laughs> yes. Kenny Omega stuff. In sunglasses. Lovely story. But, you know, he's had a lot of great underdog stories in his career as <laughs> Daniel Bryan. And, you know, he's going to come close, but this isn't one of them. Then Bryan Danielson, as distinct from Daniel Bryan, was like, oh, yeah, I'm not the underdog that I've been. I'm Bryan Danielson, you idiot. And I'm going to, like, really hurt you in a way that you're not prepared for, that is going to hurt you a great deal with my strikes and my grappling because I'm an American dragon. I just love the contrast of the underdog. Patting him on the head. It's not going to be an underdog tail gone awry. It's not going to be an underdog tail. I am Danielson, and I got hard on. (laughs) Anything you want to say? No, I completely agree. I continue to love they did this with, obviously, Mira and E. Kingston a couple of times, didn't they? Um, The graphic of so-and-so speaks or so-and-so talks about the match is becoming something to genuinely get hyped for because they're just proving so economically brilliant at these mm. week after week after week. Uh, right, next, it was the Bunny versus Anna Jay. Um, obviously, the history of the, the Bunny and Penelope Ford and take on T and Anna Jay caused the match to start immediately uh, as uh, Jay was making her entrance, fighting Bunny on the ramp. Um she actually suplex, suplex Bunny onto the floor. Uh, they eventually get in the ring, and Anna Jay's getting the better of Bunny. So she goes out to, to have a word with her uh, HFO leader, Matt Hardy. Um, Anna Jay comes after her, hits her with a super kick. But Bunny recovers and sends Jay shoulder first into the ring post. Uh, following that, Bunny is targeting her offense on uh, Jay's arm and shoulder. She's selling it brilliantly. Um, Jay hits a neck breaker on Bunny, gets a near fall, but again, is, is selling this arm and shoulder uh, throughout. Penelope Ford jumps up. She tries to interfere. That allows Tate Conti to, to pull her off the ring apron. They brawl at ringside, distracting Bunny. And another roll-up finish here post-match. 
Uh, Penelope Ford and the Bunny attack uh, Tay and Jay and knock both of them out with brass knucks. You were not happy, I sense, with the finish of this match. No. The Rampage tagline in another bid to, to be generous, that either are trying to differentiate themselves from WWE or they are getting high and mighty about how much better they are as a promotion. It's one of two of those things. When you do things that are consistent with how the other promotion does things, you deserve an absolute horror tackle to the fibula. <laughs> Studs up. Yeah. Less distraction, more action. Was what I was promised. I got some distraction <laughs> at the end of the action, and the action wasn't even that hot to begin with. And as bad, as dismally bad as WWE's women's division is in 2021, there's still way more representation. If you're going to do the digs at WWE, yeah, love half of them <laughs> because the Fed sucks. The Fed sucks, bro. I do love uh, 75% of the digs are great. You're kind of not allowed to do that dig if your actual on telly TNT, this is the tagline to the show on TNT, and then do some WWE nonsense. Like it's just deserving absolute kicking for that. And I will go studs up and I will smile about it. Roy Keane Harland style. The match was not great, if no. I'm being honest. Again, I just watched Good it. Good selling from Anna Jay. Yeah. I watched it mainly as a measure of how she's improved because, in theory, I'd really like to see what Anna Jay does in one, two, three years' time. But, you know, I don't even want to watch professional wrestling as a coach. I don't get paid to do it. <laughs> I get paid not from AW to do it. So there's no vested interest in me to watch Anna Jay evolve and become great. So, if, shouldn't have to watch it on that level, even though I did get an appreciation. Like, she's lost a lot of a snap. Uh, she did a uh, sent on neck breaker deal that I thought was really good. But I didn't really buy. Like, some of the, sh- the forearms did connect snugly. So they were well executed. I don't really buy that there's this total animosity at the core of this rivalry between TJ and the Hardy family office. It just felt very much acted. That's my take. Yeah, just again, really, um, even if this was good, which it wasn't, it wouldn't have been good enough. You know, there wasn't, there There was no heat. Uh, there was no, I, like, I didn't think the work was that great. And it's one of the things where you keep saying, well, like it's that, you know, there's a hole in my bucket because they've got to get reps to get better. But then in order to get better, they've got to have matches like this that maybe don't go so well. There's still no house show loop. We still don't know how much they're able to, you know, drill these matches over and over and over again until what appears on television is far more polished than what we got here. Finish was lousy and kind of unacceptable. I'm amazed that that was what got the green light. You feel like there's enough of a process that goes on behind the scenes that they sit and they gather around and they talk about how it's going to be. And that finish revealed that continued lack of thought, didn't it? It just, it was impossible to imagine that that finish taking place in a match featuring wrestlers that those internally cared about. And that kind of revealed to me that I... Still, these wrestlers aren't really a, a priority, and that's a that's a bad message to get out there. But that's what that a finish like that. So, a company that you we talk so much about the process now, much you respect it. I think that's what a finish like that reveals. Um, and the bunny, I feel like I've seen a lot of the bunny wrestling, and not a lot of net positives to come from that. So, as much as I do want everybody to improve, and a rising tide raises all ships and stuff, maybe have a look around and see who else you might want to 
want to try with try like giving that much tv time to because it's okay to write something off as a as a noble failure and then you kind of go back to the drawing board with her you keep her like i'm so patronizing but you keep people just in the training rings and maybe give somebody else a go and see if they can make a better use of that spotlight i don't know i've seen the bunny over deliver and i've seen her over deliver this year which potentially you might argue warrants the fact that she's getting these spots but like i wouldn't class her as a conti and a J type like i think the bunny's probably found a level and i don't think if it's and it's here but i don't think it really justifies the amount of the justifies sorry the amount of tv time she's getting it will be interest interesting to compare this match to anna javis penelope four which of course we're getting next week i guess but i'm not a coach like, yeah, I don't exactly. want to say, oh, did she look better in this match? I just want to be entertained by a story being mm. told to me, and I got none of that. Here. And like Hamlet says there, it felt like they went, right, the finish has to involve, or the post-match, I should say, has to involve uh, Ford and the Bunny, KO in uh, TJ, JT, I never remember which way I had to say it, knocking both of them out, but we want to give Anna Jay the win, so we have to do a roll-up so the Bunny can immediately pop up and attack her and the numbers advantage and blah, blah, blah. So it was just... Very convoluted. Uh, yeah, it's just total formula. Total formula to the booking at this stage. Like, bare minimum thought applied to it. I'm sick of saying the word reps mm. when I'm describing AEW's women's division. And we have to say it because that's one of the glaring problems. But we were saying the word reps quite a bit this time last year. And we are still seeing it this year. And at some point, that's going to be a big problem. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. 
Well, let's move on. Uh, we got clips uh, reminding us of Powerhouse Hobbs's attack on uh, CM Punk on Wednesday. Uh, and they showed exclusive footage from backstage of Hobbs leading Team Taz uh, back through there uh, and saying that Punk should stay retired for seven more years. And then Matt Hardy... <laughs> How good. Well, my Hardy is in the ring. Uh, Tony Schiavone's chatting to him saying, you must be upset. You're 0-2 for the night so far. He said he's furious and he books Anna Jay versus Penelope Ford for next Friday. This Friday coming now, of course. Uh, And Lucha Bros and Proud and Proud Powerful versus Private Party, Butcher and The Blade. But he also turns his attention to a uh, Orange Cassidy lookalike. Uh, or cosplayer would probably be a better way. He didn't really look that much like Orange Cassidy. He was wearing an Orange Cassidy T-shirt, and that was about it. He's furious. Uh, obviously, he's got this ongoing feud with uh, with Orange Cassidy. He goes out to confront him. Uh, the guy's there. He's got his sunglasses on. He does the little uh, lazy thumbs up. Harley can't take anymore. He drags him over the barricade. Jack Evans helps him pull him into the ring. They, they attack him. They beat him down. Matt Hardy gives him the twist of fate. And then they pull out uh, scissors and they cut off his ponytail and Jack Evans breaks out the clippers and starts shaving this guy's head uh, until Orange Cassidy runs down to make the save and chases off Matt, Matt Hardy and Jack Evans. So not the pop I was expecting, if I'm perfectly honest here. Um, but uh, it feels bad, but it's something we do every week, this going in on Matt Hardy, Hamflet. But uh, I don't know, I felt rather indifferent to this, if I'm perfectly honest. Yeah, Orange Cassidy didn't get a reaction because this was piss poor featuring a bunch of lame things, one after another after another. The HFO are lame. Matt Hardy is lame. The fact that that group have got an own 2 record doesn't really matter because there's simply like not that much investment in this lame act. Plant fan stuff is more often than not pretty lame unless you absolutely nail it, which this did not. Orange Cassidy as a character is placed in a no-win situation because is he the guy that runs out and makes the save for a fan or is he the guy that's actually himself who doesn't really care about anything? Do you know, like there's like an awful situation to put that specific character of all the characters in. It is more logical for CM Punk to run in and make a save for that fan than it is Orange Cassidy. Such is the stupidity of this Really lame hack segment, the type of which, like, I would never expect on any, I wouldn't even expect on Dark and Dark Elevation. There is some daft stuff on there that occasionally gets gift on Twitter. Like, it just, I could not really fathom how, again, they found the time for this. Like, do this on being the elite or something, honestly. Like, you're shaving a complete stranger's hair, and all of it feels like what AW is so brilliant at is over the course of a hot dynamite or overall out of something, no matter what you're like, I know that like the rest of the media gets accused of being biased, but one of the reasons why much of like sort of the um, response to AW is because you are completely lost in the product as a fan all over again. You, you It's hard as an adult not to like have your, your adult, your big boy brain switched on. And as a wrestling fan of 30 years, whatever you're watching it and you're thinking these things, but a lot of it is just getting lost in the story and buying into the characters for the duration of the match. We say it about the fans that are willing to like, quote unquote, play along. You know, you want to like the young books are amazing, but you're going to boo the young books within the context of the match. If they're playing the heels, this was impossible to play along with because it felt like fake carny pro wrestling nonsense. And it just, it ultimately served over all else to kind of like make orange Cassidy look and feel stupid and inessential. It get acted. I get a lot of acting or like things that just feel like pro wrestling, not don't, don't feel like pro wrestling. They look like pro wrestling. And I don't feel anything for it. Um, 
I'm getting the sense from this that <clears throat> I might be completely off base here. And, you know, maybe it's a genuine commitment on Matt Hardy's part to shave his head, look stupid, and I'm going to get Orange Cassidy over and I'm going to help. I'm going to justify my salary to the team because he's probably on an absolute fortune. And, like, no one's emotionally connecting with it. Like, no mm. one talks about Matt Hardy on Twitter in really positive terms. He's not contributing to this otherwise, inc- like, team in incredible form. Um, there's no juice to this. It feels like Matt Hardy's getting desperate. I'll shave my head, I'll shave my head. Like, good. But, like, does anyone really want to see this? Wilborn, if we ever do a Dynamite podcast or a Rampage podcast or like we're previewing it will we ever have the bullet point what next for the Hardy family office (laughs) no one cares they need to find another thing to do with Matt Hardy if in fact they are intent on using him so prominently going forward he's there to lose a lot that's fine but he's not a scalp and he doesn't have that attendant respect does it really mean anything? Mm. If you like, if he loses and you get a win over Matt Hardy, it's just like, is the word that entertaining? No. Do you think he's a bit of an arsehole for getting a beloved Orange Cassidy fan? No. Are the matches good? Not particularly. I mean, the Christian Cage, it's one of those words that I'm impressed by Matt Hardy's work. I'm not thrilled, exhilarated, or particularly entertained by it. I'm damn sure impressed, and I do mean that earnestly, but like, no one cares, and he's dragging the quality of the programs he appears on down, and like it's a promotion full of wrestling fans by wrestling fans. And the worst thing about certain wrestling fans is like you can't say it's bad in front of them, otherwise they'll attack you. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say, oh, it's a good match on Raw. Actually, it was great. It's like, yeah, maybe it was, but I don't care about it. Like, oh God, I just want my holiday to be less and less of a presence on my favorite wrestling TV show. And I'm definitely not alone in that assessment. Uh, there was one thing I enjoyed about this segment, I will say that, and that was, I think it was Jericho, I apologise, I've not written down who said what here, but I think it was Jericho, who, when the bloke was in the ring getting his head shaved, going, oh my God, he's getting his head shaved, what's he going to have to do when he gets home and expl- tries to explain this to his girlfriend? And I'm going to give it to Ricky Starks, because I hope it was him, it was probably either him or Taz, if I remember rightly, he said, that guy ain't got a girlfriend. Brilliant, brilliant heel stuff on commentary, that. Fantastic. <laughs> Got me huge. Anyway, let's move on to something that I sense that Sidja will have enjoyed a lot, lot more. Uh, and that was the face-to-face between Britt Baker and Ruby Soho. Woohoo! They were shooting here. Uh, Britt Baker starts us off by saying, welcome, welcome to some TV time, Ruby. Uh, she says she thinks that uh, Soho is there for herself. She needs to find out who she is. She's changed her name. She's changed her hair color so much. Uh, all the time because she doesn't know who she is. She needs to fit in. But everyone knows who Britt Baker is around here, though. DMD, all that sort of thing. And Ruby says, yeah, of course, everyone knows who you are. You tell them every bloody week. I know who you are, too. I'm just, I know. Sorry, I know who I am, too. I've just finally now got the freedom to show it. Uh, she said, Britt looks like every other broad uh, who stood. She stood across the ring from and she's eat all the way down to banging some dude in the back. I got distracted at this point because there was some blokes stood in between uh, Ruby and Britt who had a baby sign. There's about six of them, one letter each, B-A-Y-B-A-Y. They had a brilliant line about banging some dude in the back. And they go, oh, this is it. This is our chance, right? And I watched them. Three of them put it up. I went, okay, there's the first bay. Where's the other one? And then two of the other lads went, they were like, 
Steve, Jeff, quick. Right. They got it up, but the other Y guy was, I don't know, in the loo or something. So it went, Bay, Babay. And then by the time we went, Bay, Bay, oh, we got there in the fucking end, didn't we, lads? Good work. Anyway, um, anyway, uh, Britt Baker responds by saying, Ruby, I don't know he's talking about. You didn't run away from anything. You got fired. And Ruby says, yeah, you know, all right. You know what? You're right. I did get fired, but that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, and I can't, I don't believe that you, Brit, can see anything with your head so far up Tony Khan's. Yes. Uh, next week, though, uh, you won't even be able to see yourself as champion because I'm going to be taking that title off you. Uh, Britt Baker took a swing at uh, Ruby Soho with the belt. Soho ducks it, takes her down, beats her down. Uh, and Baker bails out and Solo Soho even is the one who stands there with the title. Love this little shoot session, Sige. This was a tremendous version of something that I hate. Yes. And if you scrutinize the verbiage, much of it didn't even make any sense at all. <laughs> what they did was so much more impressive than the deep cuts and the content. They made this match feel absolutely enormous. Yeah. In a bigger way than a Britt Baker match feels big by virtue of Britt Baker being so over being in it. It's the first time I felt that someone might take that title off. Indeed. That's the ultimate byproduct success of this segment. I felt, Jesus Christ, Ruby might actually win this. They might play the hot hand because at the very least to get a rematch out of it. And increasingly, as we'll get into, they're kind of getting into the rematches now, which is an unfortunate extension of having a literal extension to the TV <laughs> time. Banging some, banging some dude in the back. Hated, hated, hated that line. You don't want to know why? Because Brick Baker got all the way over and then got all the way over consistently for about a full year and change before Adam Cole turned up, what, two weeks ago at this point? Like, if you're going to do the deep cuts, actually use a freaking knife because this didn't cut into anything. That was vaguely true and might, like, hurt. It's a load of bollocks, what uh, Ruby Soho said with that line. <laughs> a total load of bollocks. I did like the Tony Khan line because Britt Baker, strategically be a worker, do this, always puts Tony Khan over all the time. I think they do generally have a friendship, but yeah. just like to say it, why the hell not? Good strategy, get yourself some money, get yourself some spots, and, you know, just earned it without saying that Tony Khan's a nice guy. All I'm saying is that... It was a good, well-observed line from Ruby, much better than the banging some dude in the back bit, because that line was as bad and weak as it was, totally inaccurate and unfair. And it's not like heel heat because Ruby's playing the baby face, I think. But, you know... People looking at Brick Baker going, oh, my God, it's the shocked girl from War Games. Look at that. <laughs> it's exactly the kind of promo that I've grown weary of. It's exactly the kind of promo that I honestly think is beneath the way that AEW generally tells its stories. Because what they are doing is just totally cutting each other down and not building each other up. Generously, because this was so hot, and I was thrilled in the moment in spite of myself, it didn't really matter that they were just burying each other because the fans were very much invested in each performer and thought nothing less of them despite the fact that they were saying they should be, theoretically. But this is just an awesome segment that I really, really enjoyed and thought was major in spite very much of itself. Yeah, I completely, completely agree with Sidgwick. This had no right to work, let alone work as well as it did. Um, particularly in what was the complaint over the show at all. This was anything but the furnace that that building was for Wednesday's Dynamite, and yet they found just a little bit more heat left in it and were able to extract it all. And they, like, 
WWE bastardized the term. <laughs> I say that at least once a week on the AW podcast, but this had a big fight feel by the end of it. Again, like the whatever had been said was almost lost to the energy. It was like lost to the vibe, which was that to go back to the very first thing you said to circle back the idea that this is a title match with suspense and with tension about who's going to win, despite the fact that this that the champion is currently this white hot commodity that sh- you know surely can't be touched for several months. You know, we we kind of we feel like we're all going to see when the first real challenges for that belt emerge. Um, and yet they captured that over the course of one promo. It felt, again, like this is another one of them things with, with lines like that, the one that Sidgwick pointed out, and just really that stuff in general about well, you're rubbish because you got fired, all that kind of stuff. Lines like that are never encouraged because they completely go against um, how wrestling matches are supposed to be built. That idea that you put your opponent over before you put yourself over mm-hmm. as being better than. I don't think by the end of this, there was any of that feeling in the building just because Britt Baker had just said Ruby Wright was some useless fired XWB wrestler. And just because Ruby Wright had just said that Britt Baker has slept away to the top, like both falsehoods and both theoretically negative. I didn't get the sense that the fans felt anything other than, wow, this is going to be super competitive mm-hmm. in, a, in a match that matters. So there was like, I don't even think it was dark arts. I think it was two characters that are hugely over at the moment. There's like, you go back and I guess you watch, a 1999 promo about like sh- and, bits and come from like DX and it just be just like bring the house down because the characters are so beloved. I think that was what we, what we got here, albeit in a, a less gross fashion. Can't wait for the match. Like honestly, can't wait for the match. We get that um, next up the, uh, the split screen with Mark Henry in the middle. I do like his little, it's time for the main event. He looks really happy with himself and I'm happy for him. It's lovely to see him on a great time. Uh, Fuego uh, says he's, he's willing to put his new car against the title because he knows if he can drop Mira on his head with a Tornado DDT, he can win that TNT championship. Uh, he talks about David versus Goliath. Miro goes, yeah, that's no, not happening. I'm going to kill you. And uh, I'm going to celebrate with my God above and my wife below. He's going to retain the title. And then we get the match. It's Fuego del Sol versus Miro early on at Fuego del Sol, you know, dodges and gets away from Miro, frustrates him. So Miro goes out to the floor. Del, uh, Fuego del Sol goes to one of the dives, but Miro, of course, catches him. Thankfully, though, del Sol reverses it, sends Miro into the ring post a couple of times. Miro then later on catches him, tries to throw him into the crowd, who catch him, and that allows del Sol to come off the barricade with a brilliant crossbody. Uh, when we go to the break, Miro gets into game control, though. We come back, he's still there dominating Fuego del Sol. He's got him in a bear hug. Uh, eventually, del Sol headbutts his way out of it. Uh, hits uh, hits Miro with Inseguri. Uh, Del Sol goes for a springboard, but Miro catches him and slams him down. Miro goes for a DDT, but Del Sol slips out. Double stomp, curb stomp. He's targeting the head and, and neck of Miro. Uh, he hits a short DDT and goes for the big one, the, no, the one that we know uh, Miro is vulnerable, the spinning DDT, uh, but Miro blocks it, super kicks him. And then I just love the bit where he gets Fuegos on the corner and just, if this was an MMA fight, it would have been stopped. He was just clobbering him uh, with uh, with forearms. Uh, and then Miro super kicks him and says, no, I think we can have one more. And then super kicks uh, Fuegos from behind to the back of the head. One, two, three. He wins the match. He retains the TNT championship. And what has he won? He's won the car, of course. Post-match, Miro gets the uh, keys to the car on a bloody lanyard. Loser. Um, and uh, 
shoves him in his mouth and puts him in a brilliant, just I love the talk he gets on it. And that, that's a really good use, I will say, as a production note. Uh, really good use of the, the top-down camera because you can just see how far he cinched that. Uh, the Coyote camera king! The clutch, game over. Submission move uh, there. Uh, thankfully, Sammy Guevara comes out to make the save. A little bit too late there, Sammy. He's already dead, but thank you. Um, chases Miro off uh, and Miro bails, leaving the TNT Championship behind, which Sammy Guevara pick, picks up and raises uh, to the crowd. He wants the next shot of the TNT champion, and that is how the show ends. What did you think of the main event, Amphlet? Uh, it was all right. Miro's fantastic. He remains in excellent form, and I, I think he probably extracted more out of this than somebody who isn't quite as hot as he is right now would have done. Um, it went long enough that it felt more like a main event than a protracted squash. And I actually think that worked against it. AEW, I guess to their credit, had done quite an effective job on selling me this match because of quite a funny stipulation and all this sort of romance around Fuego del Sol in general and just how fantastic that first Miro Fuego match was. Certainly something that warranted a second go around. But having watched it, and you know, this is why I can't be critical of them because it wasn't something I really thought about until after the fact. I think I'd have been tempted to just do the first match round two and not have this go longer than it needed to, to the point where it stretched believability. Um, I lost interest in, um, I don't really like this word journey, but Fuego's journey in this match because it was shown to me for too long and that didn't happen the first time around. But if you were going to put it in this spot, you had to give it a bit of time. You know, like ultimately, I think the idea they had in their head wasn't ever strong enough for the execution they had planned. And that was thus the main event we got. Sammy Guevara Miro is pretty fantastic. I look forward now because Sammy's felt like one of them guys lately. And AW does its best with cycling guys in and out. But Christ almighty, that reaction Sammy Guevara got in his hometown. Um, for them not to then like kind of build a little bit more on that with matches, like I think has been a little bit criminal because of how hot he was. So I like the fact that he's basically staked his claim for this belt. As Christian Cage has taught me, because I watch every week and you're supposed to pick up clues. Picking up the belt doesn't get you a title shot, but picking up the belt is a statement of intent that you then follow up with three or four wins to get your title shot. So I'm looking forward now to see Sammy Guevara do just enough to justify that title shot because I've kind of missed seeing him seeing him go. He was like written ready to go and then he's kind of just take a little bit of a step back. So net positive from the end, I didn't really like the match. I think this is a bit different than the Christian Cage one because Sammy Guevara won essentially the main event of Double or Nothing for his team. He's mm. won his big grudge match against Sean Spears. He's had a smattering of TV match wins. I think this is just the culmination of what he's done since they really put the heat back on him. I know it's gone a few weeks without, but I think that's part of the compromise I'm willing to um, accept in terms of the rotating cast. So I'll disagree on that specifically. Otherwise, me and Hamza are becoming dangerously close to sharing literally the exact same <laughs> brain. Um, two things before I do a brief analysis of the match, because I don't think it warrants that much. Two flash pinning combinations or roll-ups, if you like. Two instances where the prospective or actual challenger holds the title aloft as an indication of what your future might hold, or is this going to be the future title switch? Two identical developments happening on the same show. Yeah. That's a bit of a uh, suboptimal byproduct of having an extra hour of TV and repeating stuff. 
and this itself as a match was a repeat understand that it functioned as a bridge to get to Miro versus Sammy Guevara. It's a perfectly like perfectly nice little means of doing so. I like the fact that everyone's got friends. You, you can have friends and not in your own stable. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? I really like those little touches. They're realistic. We know that Guevara and Fuego del Sol are best friends. Why not, to a point, integrate um, real-life things on build matches organically and just make everything feel like we'd be lived in and organic and enable suspension of disbelief. I was more high on how they are getting to Miro versus Guevara than I was in the match. So again, just like Hamlet, elements of it, phases of the match just felt like they were repetitive structurally and I was just getting a little bit lost and looking at the clock. I loved, loved, loved the double axe handle to pie Fuego out of the sky. It looked like his head did well to not come off. And again, just the strikes in the corner. I got more out of the individual sparks of Miro's performance than I did of this as a match because I didn't buy it as a contest. I wasn't that enthralled by it as a, as a nine-minute TV match as well, which proves that this didn't really work. Um, I wish Miro would save that punches to the corner a bit. For someone who could like really fire up or you'd think is in trouble and not just going to lose anyway. But you know, he's really does something awesome in every match. I'm sure he's got something else that's gonna be just as cool. But yeah, generally as an hour, this felt like I got up early to watch this on Saturday morning. And my body clock just means I get up early anyway, because I've been trained as a UK fan watching wrestling <laughs> wake up even when there's no wrestling on, such as the parts of my life becoming whole. I really <laughs> wish I just sit wait until freaking Saturday night. I was out on Saturday night. I just wish I waited until Sunday night to watch this because I felt like oh, I wish I could just go back to sleep. That <laughs> is not a feeling you want. You want people to think I'll be knackered, but I've got to watch this. If the week after Grand Slam has a card like this, I would certainly just wait until Sunday night to watch it. And that is not good for uh, viewership prospects and the idea that this is a third hour of TV. Oh. And that the implication is, it's a show's good and as momentous as dynamite. And that's not what this is. Hmm. Although this week is uh, certainly one to book that trend in terms of a poor show last week. That's going to be ace. Yeah. <laughs> Pun intended. Yeah, you did it about three weeks ago. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know. He's every since every time, every single time, still work. Dra- still good. He dropped it. Drop the deuce. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Well, let us know your thoughts on Rampage on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch there. You can follow all three of us, of course. You can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Dressing wherever you get your podcast from. And leave us a five star review review uh, for something to review instead of. The god-awful segment on Raw tonight uh, by subscribing to What Called Dressing and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, already up right now is our SmackDown review, our Raw preview coming later on today. But for now, this has been the AW Rampage review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.